The first thing we seek to do when we're struggling or hurt is to look for someone to blame. It's inherent, and it started with the first humans who ever sinned and suffered. But blame sets us up for failure and removes us from the responsibility and the process of healing. Welcome to the Sifted Wheat Podcast with Leslie Lamb, a counselor by profession, a minister of truth, and a lover of people. This is a safe place where she sets a path for others to learn how to move through hard seasons with confidence and grace, encouraging your faith, empowering your choices, and challenging your perceptions through the word, the wisdom from years of counseling others, and her own experience of being sifted. Here's Leslie. You know how they say that the easiest thing is not always the best thing? Well, blame is kind of that. It's easy to blame people. It's easy to blame self. It's easy to blame God or others. But the reality is, is that it doesn't move us further. It just keeps us stuck in a lot of ways. The first time we see blame taking place is in Genesis 3. And you're going to hear me go back to Genesis 3 often because the reality is, is we haven't evolved past that moment (laughs) in our interactions with God, in our interactions with one another, and even in our interactions with the enemy. And he really hasn't moved past Genesis 3 with us either. So in that moment, you see that Adam and Eve have made a decision and they've just eaten of the fruit and they hear that God is coming and they they hide. And so the first thing that happens is that God first asks, you know, where are you? And Adam's response is, well, I hid because I was afraid. I was naked and I was afraid. And God says, who told you? that you were naked. And one of the things that I do love is there's in the translation of that, which is the literal Hebrew translation, it's actually a more of a question of who laid you bare. And even when I read that, as I was going over my notes, the reality of that statement, who laid you bare? Because when we're in a season of sifting, that's exactly how we feel. We feel exposed. We feel laid open. We feel like we are completely undone. And so for me, when I was reading that and knowing that God asked the question, who laid you bare? And what we see out of that is immediately Adam responds and says, the woman that you gave me. And then he turns to Eve and Eve says, well, the serpent tempted me. So even in that very moment, There's this idea that blame is taking place. First, it's the blame of Eve, but then there's also this attached blame that says that you gave me. So God also is kind of being blamed in this moment. And then Eve finally says, well, it was the serpent, the seducer. And so if we follow that train of thought, if we follow the way that that kind of was laid out, blame is going to set us up for failure. And I want to explain that a little bit because in each one of those areas with self, with others, and with God, when we move into blame, that is absolutely part of what creates a bigger problem rather than moving towards resolution or healing or even reconciliation. It sets us apart from the healing process. If I blame myself, 
which often happens and happened with me. And I'll share with you, I, I went through the process of blaming everyone in the situation, myself included. But what we do when we blame ourselves and we just choose to look at ourselves as being the problem, then we just embed shame, right? Which because shame is not I've done something, but shame is because I've done something, I am something. So it becomes a part of our identity. And when it becomes a part of your identity, then it becomes hopeless to think about change, right? Because it's not just what I did, but it's who I am. So then we resist looking for ways that we can reframe ourselves or ways that we can be redeemed from what we've done. And so if I sit with the blame of myself, then that's going to promote hopelessness. Now, if I shift the blame and I look at others as the fault of where I am and what I'm dealing with, that resists responsibility. And when we resist responsibility for what has happened to us, then not only is there room for shame, but there's also room again for hopelessness because now I'm a victim. And that victim mentality can be dangerous because it doesn't provide that there might be an opportunity to escape, to escape from what I fear and to escape from what I feel. So when I blame others, I am increasing hopelessness and I'm also going to have resentment. I'm going to have bitterness. It's going to give more room in my mind for fear and anxiety to grow because instead of seeing myself as able to get out from under it, it's going to feel even more and more and more overwhelming. So blaming others doesn't help us either. Now, we can acknowledge that others might have had a role in what happened to us, but we also have to acknowledge our part. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Another thing that blaming others does is it promotes an idea of vengeance. So if we don't go inward, then we'll go outward, right? And a lot of times the way that we go outward is not really that we hurt the person who hurt us, but more often than not, we hurt the people around us because someone hurt us. And so it's important to recognize that when I make it about what someone else has done to me, then I'm going to move in the direction of protecting myself, which means that I'm going to use some of the tactics that maybe I couldn't use with that person with other people around me. And instead of that person really getting the message that they hurt me, all I'm really doing is sending the message that I'm hurting others. So that doesn't help in our relationships with others, and it doesn't help in our relationship with moving past the hurt that we have experienced. How does blaming God set us up for failure? Well, it impedes the source of our healing. So if God is healer, and I'm blaming God for every bad thing that's happened to me in my life, then I'm not giving God space in my life to come in and bring healing. James 4, 7 gives us a layout of submitting to God, drawing near to God, Him drawing near to us. And that is what empowers us to resist the enemy, which sends the enemy running. But oftentimes we don't do that. Oftentimes we set the enemy between us and God when we choose to blame Him for what has happened to us. So then how do we shift out of the blame? 
Well, if we're blaming ourselves, first we have to acknowledge that we might have had a part, but we can't stay there. Could we have made different choices? Absolutely. The fact that we didn't make those choices doesn't mean that we're a horrible person or that we are incredibly sinful. It means that maybe we didn't have all the information that we needed to make a better choice. So I have to acknowledge my part, but I can't stay there. I can't make it about who I am. I have to make it about the choices that I've made. If we're going to blame others, the way we shift out of that is acknowledging their part because surely they had a part, right? But like I said before, we also have to acknowledge our part. Where did we open up the space for them to have that kind of power in our lives? Where was the hurt exposed that we maybe hadn't made the choice to heal from in the past that then allowed that to be deeper embedded in the moment or the event where we feel like we are being sifted? And then beyond that, what choices can I make despite the choices that they made or in addition to the choices that they made? You know, that's really hard to try to reflect on and process. Because it requires looking at those moments that we were hurt and recognizing that there might have been a way of escape and the acknowledgement that we didn't take it. Now, the reason why we didn't take it can be so big, you know, deception or fear or intimidation. Those are very real things that keep a victim from moving out of being a victim to actually walking away from the situation or walking away from the encounter. But the reality is, is if we look at it deep enough, we'll see that provided a different set of circumstances or a different mindset in the moment or not moving towards fear, but moving towards my identity in Christ, I might have made a different decision. And if I had made a different decision, maybe I wouldn't be here. Maybe that's not your story, but that is solidly my story. There are so many things that if I look back that if I would have chosen honesty instead of hiding, if I would have said no instead of seeking to please others, a lot of that would never have happened. But I can't sit there and blame myself. I have to acknowledge that other things were at play. Hurts were at play. Trauma was at play. And all of those things together created the difficulty for me and led to all sorts of problems, spiritual hurt, physical hurt, many things. And regardless of what it is that has caused the sifting and and not every part of it can say, well, someone's to blame. And so I'm going to blame myself. I'm going to blame others. I'm going to blame God. I'm going to blame. But here's the thing, blame in any form that it takes isn't moving us into acceptance, and it isn't moving us through grief. So I encourage you, whoever it is that you might be blaming for your circumstances right now, shift out of that. Create space for there to be more to the story. Also, if you're blaming God, that's hard. If we see God as this overarching power that will is always done, and things don't work out well for us, then we can believe that God has failed us, that God didn't look out for his children, that God didn't move in and say no 
when bad things were happening. And you can feel that and it can be very real. But if you stay there, then you're not giving God the space to come in and redeem those circumstances. James 4, 7 gives us the process. And the first part of that process is that we have to submit. Submission is such a scary word, right? Because so many times in our lives, when we have submitted, it has resulted in pain. But God doesn't want it to result in pain. He wants it to result in empowerment. So as we go through that, we have to recognize that we're submitting not as a victim, but as a child. As we would go to someone who were safe, and I, and I wish I could say father, but not all father figures are safe. But if we could go to someone and know that they are looking out for us and that they see us and that they value us and we submit to them, we submit to them out of love and understanding that what they have for us is greater than what we have for ourselves. And that's the kind of submission that God is asking for. Submit. Recognize that I am God. Recognize that I'm the one that can help you out of this space. Submit to me. And the second part of that is once we submit, once I come under the leadership and the authority of God, then the second part of that is that allows me to draw near to him. And that's important. I need to know that I can draw near to him. I need to know that whatever I say, he will sit with me through. That doesn't always mean that when I draw near, I'm going to draw near in kindness. (laughs) Sometimes that means, Lord, I'm going to draw near to you and I'm going to express to you the emotions that I'm feeling right now. I'm going to tell you that I'm angry. I'm going to tell you that I'm upset. I'm going to tell you that I'm hurting. I'm going to tell you that I'm breaking. I'm going to tell you that I'm overwhelmed. Even that is drawing near to God. I remember when I was struggling with that and I was in that place of utter shame and blame, I could feel God saying to me, Leslie, if you set yourself apart from me, I can't help you. I need you to draw near. I'd already submitted to God. I knew that God was the ultimate authority. And I was also very aware of the choices that I made that were unrighteous and were not what God would have wanted me to do. That part was handled. But in the second step, I didn't draw near to God because I didn't think I could. I didn't think that I could get close enough to him. I didn't think he wanted anything to do with me, if I'm honest. I thought that everything that had set up our relationship in the past was now disintegrated. I had made choices that were unkind to others. I had made choices that were unbefit for a Christian, for someone who's supposed to love Jesus and love the Lord. And so why, why would he want to sit with me? And very often my words to him would be, Lord, don't remove your spirit from me. I was crippled in fear that everything that I had done and everything that I had been a part of was about to take me away from the very source of my life. And that was deception. And in that, with my face to the ground and and groveling, I wasn't drawing near to God. I was a ways away, looking at him and all of his goodness and looking at me and all of my depravity. And all I could see was the chasm between us. There's this great big gap between who you are and who I am. And I submit, but I don't draw near. And I remember that it was the same day, the same day that I shared before where I had sat with my grandmother-in-law and she had shared with me 
from Psalm 51, and I had gone to my room and rested. And I remember closing my eyes and thinking, God, I just wish that I knew that you still love me. And I can't explain it except to say that it was supernatural. I remember going to sleep. I remember closing my eyes, and I remember crying myself to sleep. And somewhere in the course of that, I I felt like I had been picked up. And then I was being rocked back and forth. And in my mind, all I could think about was, oh, has my husband come in the room? Is he, did he pick me up? And is he rocking me? And then I kept hearing these words in my ear, I love you. And it was repeated over and over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I woke up. It was so real to me. And I remember walking, looking around the room and thinking like, did someone come in here? But just as soon as I thought, did someone come in here? It was like this knowing deep in my heart, deep inside my spirit, that the very thing that I was so afraid of, that God was going to leave me, that his spirit was going to depart, he showed up in this miraculous and supernatural way and held me and rocked me. And his words to me were, I love you. I love you. And that was the beginning of my belief. That as much as I feared that I was moving away from him and he was moving away from me in that moment, I recognized, no, he's not moving away. I'm moving away. He's drawing near. That was just life-changing to me. To see in your own depravity where you've made choices that are sinful and unrighteous and you call out to God and God meets you with this profound experience of being rocked back and forth and the words, I love you, echoing in my ears. I've still never forgotten that. It's kind of been the thing that's held me in season since then. And I'm sharing it with you because I want to encourage you, draw near to him. Don't hold yourself apart from him. Don't believe that he's mad at you, that he's angry at you, that there's nothing that can reconcile that relationship, that there's nothing that can redeem what you once had with him. It's a lie of the enemy. It was the same lie that was echoing over Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? But I want us to notice something. I want us to go back to that moment and notice something because God didn't walk into the garden and say, What have y'all done? Where are you? He walked in the garden as was his custom, it says. And the first words were, where are you? Where did you go? That's so important because in that moment, it gives us this beautiful image of a God who is less concerned about their choices and more concerned about their nearness, their presence. He knew something was wrong. And he wanted them to come to him and share with him what is going on. And as that story unfolds, you see more and more of this gentleness of a God who seeks to draw near. And that's still our story. So I just want to encourage you to shift out of that place of blame. It's not serving you any good purpose. And it's keeping you from the one who loves you. And who wants to bring healing to you. 
whatever your journey looks like, wherever you are in the journey, resist the blame. Resist the need to hold somebody else responsible for what is going on with you and choose to take responsibility, even if it wasn't your own actions, but choose to take responsibility for what your actions can do, whether that's getting help from somebody else, whether that's seeking counsel, whether that's just choosing to wake up and wash your face and face the next day whether that's taking a nap because you're working so hard to try to make up for what you've done that really what you need is rest. I don't know where you are, but I know all of those things can come into play when we're blaming ourselves, when we're stuck in blaming others, and when we're resisting healing by blaming God. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we go through that process, what it is that helps us to move out of that sense of aloneness. And I want to further elaborate on this God who sees. I hope you'll join me next time. And I pray that you are healing. Mm -hmm.